you hear? That sound. That is the sound of the waves crushing against a bay. But it's not just any bay. It's a Baywatch because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. I, uh, I wanted to say two in French, and then I forgot how to count <laughs> in French because I didn't... I did notice that you put on a slight accent there, but I wasn't sure what the bit was. Yeah, I I, I had to drop the bit immediately <laughs> to say things. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's really it's really just a micro bit. I guess. Uh, well, <laughs> th- what is this whole show if not that? That's true. Yeah, that is true. Or maybe it is actually a season three, episode 12, a matter of life and death. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. In fact, uh, that's what we're talking about this week. Uh, <laughs> this is an episode written by Julian Watley and Gary Capo, who re- previously wrote Big Monday, uh, the episode where there is a mm. giant wave and Mitch is afraid of it. Yeah. Classic, classic uh, uh, Greek myth right there. Um, this episode was directed by Sydney Hayers. Yeah, Sydney directed a bunch of random episodes of television, like uh, the Avengers, the Spy Show, not the the other thing. Mm. Uh, right. T.J. Hooker, Acapulco Heat. Mm-hmm. In fact, by the time he directed this episode of television, he was seventy one years old. Uh, yeah, oh, he started oh. working in the fifties as a director and as an editor in the mid forties. So 50 years huh. into his career, he graced us with this episode. Mm. Uh, I'm hoping the rest of his career was better. Ooh, uh, I think we're going to have a disagreement here. Anyways, uh, aired November... Je- Why did I write aired November, <laughs> January? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's my favorite day in November is January. Well, it was actually aired in January. Uh, they, oh. They took a break. Uh, the last episode was aired November 22nd, then they took a break. Now, uh, the problem is, because there's so little information about this show, uh, <laughs> nobody agrees on when this episode was aired. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So, uh, IMDb and the Baywatch Wiki says it's January 4th, while Wikipedia and the TVIV say it's January 10th, and hmm. then Google says it's January 11th. Wow. So... I don't know when this was aired, but to make this less confusing for the next episode, which we may or may not be recording in the same night. Uh, wink. Wink. Uh, this is aired January 4th, 1993. Uh, but before we talk about some guest stars, Morgan, this is a very special episode. Is it? Yes, because on this episode, I am, in fact, wearing my new Gero Gero Gage Tokyo Anal Dynamite T-shirt. <laughs> that I bought so I could be wearing that during this podcast because I have I a Baywatch. So excited. I have a Baywatch shirt. And that's great. That's all fine and dandy. I, I'm repping my Baywatch. But I gotta represent the Garo Gara Gay Gay Gay. I gotta represent yeah. my Tokyo Anal Dynamites wherever they you may gotta, be. You gotta do it. The Beef Boys are clamoring ex- for it. <laughs> I am excited to see what sort of chaos energy it will bring to this episode. Just a bunch of puking and shitting at the same time. <laughs> Speaking of which, guest stars. 
<laughs> That's mean. They're real people. Anyways, this first... Are they? This first totally real person <laughs> is Tina Ryder. Sounds like a fake name. Uh, and she plays Linda in this episode. And this is her top credit on IMDb. Oh. Well, well other than a 56-minute movie called Bikini Watch... Where oh. Tina Ryder, cover model and former Baywatch actress, this is her only appearance, headlines <laughs> a beach party that becomes a poolside bash. Do you want to guess what the tagline is to this? Um, I'm going to say it's something like Suns Out, Buns Out. No, I'll give you a hint. It references Baywatch in the with the name Bikini Watch. Oh, um, you thought... Baywatch was skimpy outfits. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's kind of close. Kind of close. Wow. It's why, <laughs> it's why Baywatch when you can bikini watch. Oh. oh, oh, oh. Yeah. That's a, that's a prime piece of shitty meatball. <laughs> oh, that's a really good boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> next up, Tom Gallup plays Phil. Uh, no, he is not the creator of the Gallup Pull. He is an actor. <laughs> you may know him as Officer R. Rogelski from the mid-90s show Hudson Street, which has the very ah. specific description of, in Hoboken, New Jersey, birthplace of Frank Sinatra, a goof of police fight crime. All right. Why is uh, Frank Sinatra in there? I don't know. But it does star Lori Laughlin and Tony Danza. So, okay. All right. uh, he was also in the nine-episode series called Time Cop. Uh, Ooh. Ja- Jack Logan is a time traveler from 2007 who oh, hunts man. down rogue travelers and brings them to justice before they can alter the past. The show is from 1997. <laughs> so they predicted in 10, ten years, years there'll be time travel. <laughs> yeah. I do always love when shows like that give a very just like short time frame <laughs> until some massive piece of technology has been invented that is world changing. It's like, yeah, you know, in the next like eight months, we're going to develop time travel. Yeah. And it's like, really? Next year when hover cars are built. <laughs> you know, like next year when we discover the secret particle that allows us to time travel. Uh, yeah. You know. Speaking of, it's it's like, uh, you know what? Not speaking of, I'm not going to do this segment where I shit on Doctor Who, because that's too easy. <laughs> Actually, no, wait. Yes, I am. I'm going to say, because I posted this on Twitter, if any of you think that Baywatch is the worst show that I watch, it's not. It's absolutely not, because Doctor Who is, by far, way worse than Baywatch. Wow, hot gonna, take. Well, because I think I mentioned before there is an episode of... It's, it's the most recent Doctor's reign uh, is just really bad. It's like insane. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Like there's an episode where the Doctor or, or the Master is played by a man who is Indian, and he has like a cloaking device and join. <clears throat> excuse me, joins the Nazis to like uh, they go they go to like Europe and uh, in the past and he joins the Nazis. And at one point, the doctor undoes his cloaking device and says, now they'll see you for who you truly are. And then the Nazis take him away. Truly just like, what in the actual fuck? There's also an episode with Rosa Parks. And 
they're like, aliens are going to prevent Rosa Parks from being able to sit on that bus. And it's like, why? Why you got to do this? <laughs> why, why, why are you doing this? Uh, oh, it's, it's, oh, no. It's really bad. Um, next up, uh, Anne Jeffries plays Irene Buchanan, Mitch's mom. She, ah. she will come back a few times for this series. Oh. So she'll be in I, for like six or seven appearances. I thought she was pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah. She's a uh, classic actress. She was the lead of a show in the 50s called Topper, ran for 78 <laughs> episodes, finished 24th okay. in the Nielsen ratings for the 54 to 55 season. Um, she's been in a lot of things. But Topper is her most well-known thing. And she looks like someone, has the name of someone who should be more famous. But she's she's not. I bet there's too many things for me to really <laughs> list. Uh, no, I mean, she's famous. It's just like, uh, sure. I hear a name like Anne Jeffries, I'm like, oh, man, she must be super famous. And it's like, eh. Yeah. It's a good Hollywood name. It is. Speaking of which, up next we have Joseph Campanella, who plays Al Buchanan, Mitch's dad. He apparently was in more than 200 TV and film roles between the early 50s and 2009. And there's honestly too many things he's been in for me to talk about everything. So I just won't. I just won't. (laughs) In fact, I think this means he was not in Jake and the Fat Man. He was not in Jake and the Fat Man. No, I checked. I checked. (laughs) No one in this episode was in Jake and the Fat Man. No one Ugh. knew. Uh, maybe someone else who's already been it. Maybe one of our main characters has been in Shake of the Fat Man. But no one knew has been in Shake of the Fat Man. Yeah. Uh, well, in, that's a damn shame. In fact, so few people in this episode have been in Shake of the Fat Man that I think, Morgan, <laughs> it's time to start this episode. I think you are absolutely right. We start off with some smooth, just... Sensual R and B over a montage what? of women diving you get that R&B? goes on for minutes, literally. You get yeah, R&B. it's like it's like a little jazzy, little soulful, little R and B. Just like it's it's slightly more appealing than elevator music. So funny you should say that because in the original show, it's Caribbean Blue by Enya. Um, oh, remember the last time we had an overly long diving montage and it was also Enya. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was Enya. In fact, I, I start off my notes going, this reminds me a lot of Bay, uh, a lot of Baywatch. This <laughs> is Baywatch. I haven't watched Baywatch <laughs> in two weeks, guys. I'm back, baby. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it sounds like budget Enya. And I looked it up. It was Enya. And then the oh. I get is called Worried Slalom, which sounds like a rip-off Enya's song name. Yeah. And it's by a woman named Erica Phillips, who's a jazz singer from Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada. And boy, howdy, I fast-forwarded through this. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this seems nice, but I'm trying to get to the meat of this show. Yeah, I I didn't fast-forward just because, you know, I thought maybe something would happen, but spoilers... (laughs) It doesn't. Like, what did you think would happen? Like, a shark comes out and kills someone? I mean, honestly, that it, it would have been better writing. It's not even writing. It's just them doing flips. Like, I don't know what you mean, writing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Up next, uh, 
we get to see Summer and her mom grilling and talking about diving lessons. And uh, Summer's like, can you believe I ever had trouble jumping off the pier? Um, and then the phone rings and there's been an emergency. Whoa, whoa. So Summer has before to we go. Get to the, mm-hmm. Before we get to that, a few things to discuss. One, uh, Summer says diving is important to her because it means she's conquered her fear and she's using it as an empowerment which is super cool. Uh, that's like her whole point of why she's diving in the first, why there's two, that's what they're trying to explain why there's two minutes of fucking diving montage is because she's so happy that she conquered her fear of jumping off things that now yeah. she does it for fun. Um, second thing is, I think it's really cool in the 90s that they would actually have characters, main characters, who lived in trailer parks, which they will not yeah. show in the 2000s other than trailer park boys. They will not show people in trailer parks. It's, like, too poor or something for them. But Mm -hmm. I even think of, like, Boy Meets World also had a main character that lived in a trailer park. Uh, And they would just treat it as normal as, like, yeah, some people live in trailer parks. And they would clearly normally be like, yeah, man, I I wish I had more room to live in. Uh, But everyone else would, would treat them as normal and wouldn't make fun of them for it. And they'd just be like... Yo, I'm coming over to your your trailer, and he's like, "Cool." So I yeah, I kind of I kind of appreciate that. Like, Summer and her mom have never been shamed in the show for living in a trailer park. Like, it's understood that what they are doing is abuse, uh, escaping an abusive uh, ex husband boyfriend. I I feel like this episode may have changed the relationship that the abusive no that was a different guy. Had. Oh, so Summer's mom is just uh been abused by a lot of different men then i guess i mean i i i know women who have been so it's not abnormal oh Uh, totally totally no i'm just saying like you know it it really makes you go oh shit like (laughs) yeah it does um yeah I, i i don't know if it's necessarily that uh, well, I mean, yeah, it is. She she is in the trailer because she's escaping the abuse relationship. Yeah. But I don't know if it's other people know that as much as they're just like, oh, you live in a trailer park because you don't make a lot of money. OK, like that. Yeah, that. totally. I'm I'm even just saying that, like, within the context of the show's POV, I think it would be very easy for the show to kind of like look down on them. Well, but <laughs> Eddie isn't here to shit on poor <laughs> people. Yeah, God. God, uh, but but yeah, I, I just thought yeah, there's a lot of subtle things about this episode. I think you and I are, I spoiler. I mean, so uh huh. Yeah, go ahead. A spoiler. I really like this episode. No, I actually do too. I I thought it was actually pretty good. Okay, it sounded like you hated this. I mean, only in that I have a baseline level of hate for any Baywatch episode. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah, like the, like y- yes, we can agree. A ten for Baywatch is not a ten for another show. No, a ten for Baywatch is like a four for another show. Nah, no, no. <laughs> a ten for Baywatch is like a seven for another show. I guess it depends on what other show I'm thinking of. Like, I'm thinking of, like, good television. Like, I'm comparing, like, and this is definitely unfair. I'm comparing, like, the best possible episode of Baywatch to the worst episode of Succession. And, like, 
it's just it's just not even it, to claim they're that they different. are the same type I, of I haven't media. watched Succession and I know a lot of people uh, talk about it and say it's really good but I know enough to know that they're co- doing completely different things it's, oh for sure it's not like you'd be like man the best episode of Seinfeld is like the worst episode of Succession am I right it's like they're <laughs> completely different shows my dude uh, that's fair that's fair <laughs> yeah Baywatch but, but like but, but like still like we're not saying that Baywatch is like up to par with no you know like uh like Mad Men or anything like that you know <laughs> but like there are times that we're Mad Men is just like so up its own ass that I'm like yeah I might yeah. want to take a Baywatch over a Mad Men after a while yeah whatever point is Point is, this is this is still better than Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let's uh, get this back on plot. Uh, we find out that a kid fell in a storm drain, so all the cops and all the lifeguards are here, and the kid is dead. Um, we don't know we, that I yet. We, I thought I thought we learned that like right in the beginning, um, but maybe not. No, nope, we don't know he's oh, okay. dead until they find the body. Oh, okay. They just think he might be dead, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, Numi's like, hey, weren't you supposed to have dinner with your parents? And Mitch is like, I hey, listen, I'm so happy to escape them. I don't really want to be hanging out with them. And Hobie will keep them company until then. Um, so they all start doing synchronized diving so that they can keep an eye on each other. Um, and at least in my copy, because the underwater section was so dark and I was watching it at low resolution. Uh, it was literally impossible to see any of what happened um, because it was just well, all dark uh, blobs. You weren't, you weren't missing too much, but uh, it no. was kind of cool. Uh, I, yeah. I did appreciate that they're doing an actual like non-state, not by non-standard. I mean, not like, yo, one person jump in, look around, you find him. Nope. Okay. He's dead. Uh, you know, like recovery yeah. mission. Like they're seeing what I assume are actual procedures of like, you have to synchronize this. They get glow sticks. They're, you know, they're doing it in short spurts, then coming back up and then going, moving forward and then going back down to make sure that they don't like miss a spot. I think that's yeah. cool. Um, I also think it's cool that they're doing something realistic by showing a bunch of shitty ass TV crew filming them doing it. Yeah, no, I did actually appreciate that they like were like, oh, yeah, the media would be here like grilling the kids family for content. I was like, that's actually a fairly prescient observation on the media, especially for the time period. Yeah. But but yeah, eventually uh, we start seeing that summer is having weird flashes of green bubbling water and getting panicky. Um, and then it, at this point, uh, my next note is it's 10 minutes in and this episode has been so slow. Um, <laughs> Wait, this is 10 minutes in. Oh boy. Yes. Uh, and then finally they find the kid's body and pull him out and put him into a hearse. Uh, and Matt is fucking devastated, understandably, because uh, he is the one who found the kid's body. Um, and Mitch is like, listen, the news wants to interview you. I totally understand if you don't want to. Matt's like, yeah, no, I'm absolutely not doing that. And also they should fucking leave the kid's parents alone, uh, mm. which I agree with. Uh, yep. And then he's like, also, Summer's having a rough one. You should go check on her. And then we see that, indeed, she's having a rough one. Um, yeah. 
But don't worry, we don't have to dwell on that for too long, because then we go back to Hobie playing charades with his grandparents, uh, where the the answer is Flamingo Man. No. Nope. Or Flamingo Kid. Yes. Is it Flamingo? Do you, you, do you want to know about this? Uh, yes, please. So, um, so first off, we should add that uh, he's mostly just waving his arms up and down. And his mom is like, we can't know we're bitches until we figure out the charades. Which I'm like, that's not how, how it works. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, his dad gets fed up and goes, he's a he's a freaking flamingo. And Hobie pulls a sort of Michael Eisen-esque yes and with his <laughs> arms. But anyways, the answer is Flamingo Kid, which is a movie from 1984 starring Matt Dillon. His dad Ooh. thinks Hobie is talking about the character Matt Dillon from Gunsmoke. Uh, mm-hmm. Fun fact, James Arness played Matt Dillon for 20 consecutive years. Now, the only characters to be played for that long by actors are Kelsey Grammer as Frasier Crane for 20 years, over two shows, right? Over right. Cheers and Frasier. Richard Belzer as John Munch on multiple like Law & Order spinoff shows and whatever for 23 years. Ice-T as Finn Tutola for 21 years in Law & Order SVU. Wow. Uh, and Baywatch Season 1 alum Mariska Hargitay, who has played Olivia Benson on Law & Order SVU for 22 years now. Now, Damn. that's in the U.S. If we hmm. look to the U.K., those numbers are trounced. <laughs> uh, the most impressive is William Roche, who has played the character Ken Barlow on the soap opera Coronation Street consecutively still to this day since episode one back on December 9th, 1960. Holy shit. It's been playing the same character for 60 years. That's got to be such a weird experience. Like, it's got to just completely take over your life. Like, yeah. Huh. He says he has no plans to leave the role. Uh, he's he, he's happy to still do it. His character has changed over time. He's still a main character. Because the, mm-hmm. the show starts with him as, like, a young boy, and mm. then, like, he's now growing old in his family. And Now, anyways, mind you, up until 2017, this show would broadcast twice a week, right? Wow. Since 2017, it it is broadcast six times a week. Holy shit. So you can imagine how many times this guy has had this consecutive paycheck. Right. Like, yeah, that's like that's stage actor numbers, but no stage actor like plays the same role for 51, 61 years. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's the longest running soap opera, uh, I think, in history right now. Wow. I mean, because, you know, 60 years, no one no one runs a show for 60 years. Uh, totally. Except for Coronation Street, I guess. And uh, I mean, props to that guy. Uh, yeah, totally. Now, Mitch's dad describes Gunsmoke to Hobie as a show where where uh, people shut up on time, and then Mitch walks through the door. So that mm-hmm. explains what Gunsmoke is about. Yeah, <laughs> I really didn't like that exchange. I thought it was dumb. I I loved it. <laughs> no, I, I'll tell you why. Because yeah. it speaks truthfully to what having a shitty father is like. Yeah. Or having someone who's just, man, knows how to how to s- say things 
to just like subtly piss you off, but they're not like worth getting in a huge fight over. So you just kind of ignore them and then, like, yeah. you know, keep them, you know, padded down until you release them all in therapy <laughs> in your late 20s. <laughs> or something i don't know yeah you know i i imagine this is you know completely vague and hypothetical yeah completely hypothetical <laughs> um yeah no you know not having had that experience myself i i did not relate to that but i i do absolutely see what you mean <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot in this episode where i was like oh <laughs> oh interesting yeah that's why i i, I like this episode a lot that's totally fair. Yeah, I think I, you know, don't quite have same the same emotional connection to it as you do, but I did enjoy it, sure. as we'll get to when we get to ratings. I, um, I did see quite a few people who rated this episode as like, well, this father character is so shitty. Why would he, why would anyone ever write this? I'm like, because that's, is that not how dads are? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Do you all have good dads? What? Anyways. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. We see a brief scene where Summer comes home, but her mom is gone. So she goes to sleep. Just sad. Um, it's just sad. And then it just yeah. cuts away. It's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but then we go back to the Buchanan household where we learn that Mitch's dad is retiring as an architect and wants Mitch to take over the family firm. Um, and then grandma is going to go do a tarot card reading for Hobie. Um... So then Mitch and his dad argue about this for a while, uh, and Mitch's dad is kind of a dick, and once he finally accepts that Mitch is not just going to, like, bend to his will, he just leaves. So, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. One, uh, Mitch's dad said that Mitch was a great architect and could be better than him. What does that even mean? Like, what is, what is a better architect? Yeah... Mean? Is it like what is the qualification for being better of an architect? Do you just mean like it's more stable? Is it biggest house's best house? Like, <laughs> like does it mean like you're gonna invent a new style, son, a new wave of architecture? Like I don't know what that means. I do feel like now that we've seen the lifeguard Olympics, we really need to see the architect Olympics as well in this show. Um, oh, that sounds I am amazing. going to be going on strike until we do. I feel like that's just a game of Fortnite, so you don't want that. <laughs> um, his dad's okay, but mm -hmm. let's let's be honest here. If David Hasselhoff started streaming Fortnite, you would watch that. I would How subscribe. You know? I would buy right. gift subs for other people. Right? <laughs> Maybe we need to get this to happen. We need to get David Hasselhoff to play Fortnite. They need to get David. Ha you need to get a Baywatch skin in Fortnite, and then have David Hasselhoff yes. play with that Baywatch skin. Yeah, fuck, fuck six seasons on a movie. This is fifteen seasons and a David Hasselhoff playing Twitch or playing Fortnite on Twitch. I, I think we've discovered our new. Our, our season three product that we're trying to sell people on is David ha Fuck the love sink. We want David yeah. Hasselhoff in Fortnite. Uh, yes. Now, uh, speaking of, of the gameplay of Fortnite. Sure. Uh, his dad says you always love running, uh, running on the beach, putting designs on pretty girls and deepening your tan. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, Mitch is like, 
that's not what I do. And his dad says, Mitch, you're 37. And I'm like, wait, what? No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's time for you to consider his future in the long term. Uh, mm-hmm. And he says, um, you know, you have a job, not a career. And I thought, oh, fuck. Where, where have I heard that before? My anxiety, that's where. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, this episode is is rough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, because a lot of this is is Mitch knowing that his dad is offering him something that pays well and is good and will take him away from having to worry about, like, it doesn't worry about money, but less right, worry sure. about money. And he's offering the lifetime of work on a silver platter, and it's not what he wants to do. But, like, especially in 92, 93, the idea of, I, I, I think of 92 and 93 probably as pretty corporate. And yeah. So, like, that's something you would want to do. And totally. um, Mitch does reveal that he had a degree in architecture, but he only worked for two months because he couldn't work in a cubicle. He just, he fucking yeah. hated it. Um, even though he now has a, he has a sometimes desk job, but it, it just adds to what we already know about Mitch was he turned down being, you know, uh, I guess probably like captain at some point, uh, just because he was like, I, I want to be on the beach. Like I hate right. being there. I, I hate my crab stompers. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to wear uh, crab stompers to work. The term crab stompers just still does it for me. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I just, I think, I think it really builds on the character. Uh, so yeah. he then has um, this conversation um, where, uh, so he would have to move to Phoenix for this, right? And they're in California. Mm-hmm. And his dad sent me guilt, tri- guilt trips in by saying, you're right. Who am I to impose my life on you? Uh, which I thought, yeah. oh, fuck. Like, again, he's so manipulative and abusive. And I thought, oh, yeah, like this is well written in terms of like a shitty dad uh, who would say this to their child of like, you know what? I'm not telling you you should take this, but I'm saying like, you know, you know, it's your choice. Well, and if you don't take mm-hmm. it like that's that's your fault for fucking up, you know, and I was like, truly, it's mm-hmm. a good thing that we were talking about succession earlier, because what is this episode, if not an episode of succession? Wow, I wish I got that joke. Is it a joke? <laughs> I mean, only in that the whole premise of the show is like a bunch of kids fighting to take over their dad's business. Sort of, kind of. Hmm, okay. It's a good show. Okay. People should watch it. Okay. I mean, I I should, but it, Joe Para talks with you season three started. So, I mean, there's and again. I got I got One Piece, and yeah, I uh, I supposed to start watching. Um, what am I? What is that? Fuck it, Perry Mason. I'm supposed to start watching that, and then Foundation. Start. I watch- do need to watch Foundation. Yeah, and then I gotta watch Dune seventeen more times. You know. <laughs> Did you like Dune? Did you see Dune? I uh, yeah. So I actually saw it in IMAX, uh, like in a proper theater, um, and I thought it was fucking incredible. Nice. Um, I saw it on I, Kristen's television, which is like <laughs> 45 inches. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the movie that much. Uh, I I definitely think some of it is that, like, it is very much a movie mastered for a theatrical experience. Like, because sure. a, a lot of what I enjoyed about it, 
honestly was just the the like cinematography and the shot composition like there's there's some shots of the desert that are just absolutely fucking gorgeous um and i one of the other things i really enjoyed about it and this is one thing that like is such a hard balance to pull off in any sort of like sci-fi movie and that i think dune actually hit better than i've seen do this in a while is finding the balance between um like explaining things and not I felt like Dune did a really, really good job of never never giving you an exposition dump, but also never making you feel just completely lost. Like, there's some amount of, like, if you aren't someone like me who read the book many times as a child, there are definitely things that they don't explain, um, but I think they do a really good job of making those things so seamlessly part of the world that you it kind of doesn't matter that you don't fully explain them or understand them. You see, I think that's they're mimicking the book to an absolute T where the book doesn't explain things to you and just tells you yeah. to accept them to the yes. point where it's almost like it's like I'm, I'm just watching the book. Um Right. I mean, the bo- yeah. Granted, granted, this movie has everyone's favorite actor, Babe Detista, in it. <laughs> <laughs> and who are we to doubt Babe Detista? It's uh, true. Uh, name name may have been changed for copyright reasons, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I I feel like it's really pretty. It's like no one's done that. It's it's gorgeous. But I also feel like not enough happens. I don't know. I I agree with that. I think it is very clearly part one. Um, and I think I would agree with you more if I didn't know everything that was already going to happen sure. in part two. Same. Um, I think, honestly, my biggest complaint with part one was the fucking line near the end where Zendaya turns to camera and says, this is only the beginning. And I just fucking rolled my eyes because it was so stupid. Whoa, um, whoa, Morgan. Do you not realize that this is the beginning of Hollywood understanding what a white savior is? God. Yes, sort of, kind of, except that the whole point of Dune is to subvert the white savior narrative. But also the problem with that is that he doesn't really subvert it until like book three. And there's no way yes. we're possibly getting all of those movies. Exactly. And so it's definitely going to be read as a white savior narrative, which does suck. Um, Also, that movie did inform me that I have been pronouncing Muad'Di incorrectly in my head this entire time. I thought it was Muad'Dib. That's what I thought it was, too. They omit the B sound, and so I'm just going to run with that now, I guess. If it makes you Um, feel feel any better, uh, when I was in elementary school, someone told me that I was a filthy casual and that it's pronounced Hermione, not Hermione. (laughs) And I thought... No, your parents just can't read better than me, and I'm in fourth grade. <laughs> uh, I was like, "Your parents just suck. Get better parents, yo." I get I Mitch's dad. Thought, I definitely thought her name was Hermione until I saw the first movie. Get, get better parents, dude. <laughs> get parents who read. Jeez, come on. <laughs> Me and my I mean, dad. in fairness, I was I was reading the books to myself. So oh, my my dad and I would read them out loud, and so oh nice. Uh, you know, it, it was like yeah, like he would say it's Hermione, and I, and I one day I went 
to him and I said, I think if someone told me it's Hermione. He goes, no, it's not. <laughs> it's Hermione. <laughs> and I was like, is it? He goes, that, that's how you read the name. And I was like, okay, he's an adult. Yeah. He knows. And he was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just quickly, quickly going back to Dune, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I had to tell someone else that, too. It was like, yeah, once you get to, like, the later books, like, yeah, not later, because there's a lot of them, but, like, a few yeah. books later. Uh, yeah, they do um, do some things to, like, change it. Um, so it's not as uh, as white prophety uh, and white mm-hmm. savory, but Dune, the first one, is super white savory. Uh, yeah. And you're just going to see a lot of Timothy Chalamet saves the brown people. Uh, yes. And, uh, yeah. My, my other, again, extremely minor complaint with the movie is that, so, how how does Timothy Chalamet stand in that sun for longer than three seconds without just turning into a lobster? The man is very pale. And to be clear, so am I. Um, but the man yeah. should be burnt to a crisp in that desert sun. Well, I think I I think they've accepted some inconsistencies, like the fact that they don't sandwalk enough. You know? Yeah, they're like yeah. sandwalk, and they're like this may come in handy in forty five minutes after thirty yeah. minutes of sandwalking. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I that is a great question. Um, I have a feeling that I don't speak French. However, I have a feeling that Chalamet means white. Um, it doesn't. That's blocked. Uh, I have a feeling Chalamet, like he's the whitest person I've ever seen in my yeah. life. And I've met Morgan Thrapp. Uh, <laughs> and like, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know how he does it. It's yeah. 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 Anyways. Anyways, uh, anyways, Morgan, tell tell us what's happening with summer. Uh, before I do that, I need to run and refill my drink real quick because sure. my throat is starting to dry out. I'll be right back. Like Dune. That, that's just I don't know. I guess that's for the viewers, the listeners, the people who who are listening while Morgan is away getting a drink. Just me shouting Dune. Into the mic over and over. This is the these are these are the secret things you get. These are the things that happen when, when Morgan isn't around. I just say things. I just say things randomly. Hoping he'll come back and be listening and be like, Oh, I just let you go. I just let you keep talking. Nah. He's not back. He's never coming back. Morgan will never be back. That's I'm just alone. It's just me doing this podcast now. Forever alone. Only only me watching Baywatch and talking about it to a shattered mirror of myself. Okay, well, now Morgan is back. So if you heard the last minute and a half to two minutes of me talking there, you can just ignore that. <laughs> well, now I'm very curious to hear it during the editing process. Uh, but yes, let's talk about Summer. She is having uh, some flashbacks of that green bubbling liquid uh, when her mom <laughs> comes home and comforts her. And uh, Summer is having a very understandable rough time of it. Yeah, her mom says it, you were afraid of finding the body. That makes sense. And Summer's like, mm, I think it's something deeper than that. Bodies yeah. aren't normally green. 
And I thought, yeah, okay, but what if it's like Kermit the Frog? Ooh, it's not easy being oh, green. Man. It's not. Why did why did we never get the Muppets Baywatch? No, we we've talked about how they do a a a, a Baywatch parody on the Muppets. Oh yeah, Miss Piggy does a Baywatch parody. She she plays right. CJ. Yeah, that, I mean, plays, that makes sense. It's like Hamela Henderson, Hamderson or something. Of course. <laughs> of course. Hamdala, Hamdala. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Hamdala. Um, Hamdala, the amount of time it takes you to start eating ham. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 that was rough even for me. For me, that was <laughs> like t- 25 years, so I had a big Hamdala. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, Let's see. Next up, we get a scene where Mitch and his mom are talking about how Grandpa is a workaholic. And it turns out that he's got lymphoma and they've known for over a year. Uh, But, you know, Grandpa thought he was just going to beat it. So he didn't see any point in telling Mitch. Uh, And this whole thing felt like one giant guilt trip to get Mitch to take over the firm. Um, Exactly. Mm -hmm. Some of the reviews I I read were were uh like well they forgot to write it this in so they uh, write a plot point so they wrote this i'm like no 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 you don't understand how this works yeah you have good parents you see <laughs> what's happening is that this is again a guilt trip so that and yeah. like it's and some people will be like that's unreasonable that someone would go to those lengths um excuse me have you ever guilt tripped someone it is not that unreasonable <laughs> to go to these lengths for a guilt trip like yeah and it makes also perfect sense that his mom is defending him uh and it also makes perfect sense that mitch says i don't even know if if my dad loves me right this is perfect sense and this is exactly what you would be hearing in therapy uh Mm -hmm. just people don't go to therapy and people (laughs) don't know what these issues are like so yeah again i actually i'm I'm praising this episode a lot yeah, no, I actually thought that the interactions between Mitch and his parents were very well written in general. Yeah. Um, but after that whole little scene, we get to see a scene where Summer sees a boy fall off an inner tube and tries to go save him, but has a panic attack. And then thankfully Matt is nearby, so he takes over and saves the kid and gives the kid a little talking to about how dangerous the inner tube is. Uh, I um, I know there's a criticism of this scene where it's that well we've already did this with Shawnee but like yes yo uh, don't you think and with that Jill it no well Jill wasn't afraid to get in the water was she it was just Shawnee maybe I thought I remembered Jill also doing this but I could be wrong it might have I think been it was Shawnee. just Shawnee but like don't you think that people who do the same job who get into traumatic situations where they have to save people and then people die, um, may also experience the same issues of, like, fear of the water. Now, granted, Summer's fear is specific for this episode, but in general, don't you think? I agree. I just think that as a TV viewing audience, I don't care, and I don't want to see it again one season later. That's fair. Uh, Let... Let me bounce back by saying, okay, 
Uh, do you want to see five seasons in a row of uh, Mr. Breaking Bad doing the same five things over and over <laughs> and over? Because Breaking Bad does that, and everyone's like, whoa, I love it when he did that thing again. Um, That's fair. I would argue that the writing and acting are much better on Breaking Bad than on Baywatch. But Whoa, what? <laughs> nah, nah, you you fucking with me right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, after this, Summer's like, oh, I was totally fine. I was just giving him a chance to come in on his own. Matt's like, hmm, sure, okay. Uh, so then it turns out they're going to go kamikaze biking, which is when they bike down the side of a mountain. Um, I didn't so then, know the term. I thought it was like, that seems like a weird term, but it's apparently it's a real thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd never heard the term before this episode. Yeah. Um, so then we get a mountain biking montage with what I can only describe as dad grunge. Um, oh, that's so different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the original airing heard a, is a song that I'm sure you've probably heard. Because uh, mm. it, it hit number six on the Billboard charts. Uh, okay. Life is a highway. Oh, yeah, of course. That, yeah, that's the song that they use. Because uh, oh. it came out the, the year prior. Um, uh, but, which I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's a song I know. Like, a lot of people have heard that song. Uh, yeah. But uh, the song my version gets, uh, Morgan, I would love for you to sing this. Uh, this is Get Dirty. By George Crikes. Oh, uh, boy. Now, I, I do have to, to let you know, there are a few parts in here where I put in a note for how I want you to say a certain or sing a certain <laughs> part. Just, just keep that in mind. All right. Uh, all right. Um, You'll see those in italics. I, I do indeed. Uh, I'm not sure how well I'm going to be able to do with it, but we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, because I don't actually know uh, what what that singer sounds like. Just, um, you've, you've, you've heard them before. You can't escape them at Christmas. I'm sure that I have, just, but... Just do vibrato. Okay. Just do vibrato. Can do. My heart starts racing when I fly with you. Don't know where the road will take me when I ride with you. This adventure feels like a dream. I think it's time we stop. <laughs> Being so clean. Get dirty. Oh, oh, to have fun. Have fun. Get ready for life on the run. Yeah. Get dirty to have fun. Oh, oh. Get dirty. Oh, oh, to have fun. Have fun. This adventure feels like a dream. I think it's time we stop being so clean. Get dirty. Oh, to have fun, have fun. Get ready for life on the run. Yeah! Get dirty. Ow, ow! To have fun, have fun. Get ready for life on the run. I'm so excited to listen back to this later when it's not just you <laughs> clipping over Discord over and over. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure it's going to be a better experience. Oh, no, uh, it, it will be. <laughs> it sounded very fun from the parts I did here. Uh, but it just kept on being like, oh, oh, you know, it was very funny, uh, especially I was drinking some water that first time you did the uh, have fun. 
And I was like, oh, nope, bad time to drink some water. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, mountain biking montage goes on for a while. Yeah. Um, but then we get to see Mitch setting up C-Lab 2021. Yes, thank and you. And Hobie is fascinated. I thought you would appreciate that reference. Thank you. Um, but have, have, turns you, out, have you watched the Bizarro episode of C-Lab? Um, I don't remember. I, I watched a bunch of it like a decade ago, but... There's like one of the more famous episodes is one where they're, they're bizarro versions. Show oh. And they just keep on saying, it's like, we're going to beat you up. Will you bizarro beat me up? And they're like, what? No. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is a really bad situation. Is it a bizarro bad situation? <laughs> no, what? Uh, speaking of which, in this scene, Hobie is very excited for the fish tank. He says, where are mm-hmm. the fish? And Mitch goes, there are no fish. And he goes, you got turtles? And he goes, there are no <laughs> turtles. And Mitch says, this is a sub-oceanic city I designed while I was in college. And my first yeah. thought was, go on. <laughs> right? I want to hear so much more about that. And he's like, I tested this in 12 different environments. And I was like, you what? What? Right? I'm like, wait, first off, okay, you in college. What? Secondly, you did what? <laughs> yeah. I. Is this the first time that we've learned that Mitch went for an architecture degree? I yes. feel like... Okay. I don't remember. Oh. Yeah, I don't either. I I feel like we've heard about him in college before, but I could be wrong about that, honestly. I don't remember if we've heard about it, but it makes sense based on his dissatisfaction with it, why he never talks about it. That's fair. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and also that the writers were just doing a lot of cocaine and did not seem to care about continuity at all. Well, yeah, they were very much not... <laughs> architecturing a good backstory. Is that how that word works? Yeah, that's a word. I mean, I think it's architecting, but... No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at this point, Mitch's parents get home, so Mitch heads upstairs and is contemplating his life in the mirror when his mom comes up to tell him to go talk to his dad. So him and his dad go for a walk. Um... And then we learn that Mitch would like to be buried at sea, while Grandpa would like to be buried in the foundation of a building so he can slowly become one with the concrete. Um, and Mitch is like, this is kind of weird. And Grandpa's like, I mean, fucking this whole conversation was going to be about death anyway, so what do you want me to say? Um, and then they talk about their legacy for a while. Well, what sounds like cheap mall Christmas music plays. Um, and it was very weird. Yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting conversation. Um, Michelle said at the end that uh, uh, Mitch wanted to know how long before his dad retires because he mm-hmm. said maybe there's time for him to explore other talents. And his dad says, it is time. You do have talent. Um, and his dad is focused on legacy and the tangible legacy architecture brings. Uh, this is just yep. a interesting conversation because it's, What this episode is basically showing us is that Mitch has never had a relationship, a real relationship with his dad before. And it's like being speed run at (laughs) like the moment he finds out that his dad is dying. So he's trying. How many A presses does it take, though? How many? How many what? How many A presses does this uh, relationship take? Well, I really want to know. It only takes one, but it is it is pixel perfect. 
um, and so the thing is that you know a lot of this conversation is kind of meant to be awkward, especially when two people who don't who've never you know spent the time trying to develop this relationship are forcing it to happen all of a sudden, and then there's like also like ulterior motives here where his dad is like i just want you to be me like i i want you to right. be as good as me i want my memory and like my my achievements to not go away because totally. i don't want people to forget me which is a very like reasonable fear i don't want people to forget me mm-hmm. um, and he's worried that if you know buildings can get torn down um but mm, one day, you know, his his son can then build a building, and it's like, I I, I just I, I like this scene a lot. I think it's a really good scene. I think every scene with him and his dad is good, and this is just one yeah. of those scenes. No, it's truly like the relationship between Mitch and his dad. Every once in a while in Baywatch, there will be a plot line, or sometimes even just a scene where I'm like, oh, so these writers could write if they chose to. They just are very lazy most of the time. So I think what helps for us is that uh, this is a podcast. We're two men. Thank you. Um, uh, who have never watched Baywatch before. Try and watch Baywatch. Um, and people who have watched the show before say that this is like, oh, yeah, this this episode sucks because it's Emmy bait. And it's like the show mm. will over the over the course of the year is just whenever they want to Emmy bait will um well like right in a cancer storyline and it's the, yeah. the longest running show for a long time that never won an emmy um which is like oh who, who the fuck cares it's a fucking emmy right uh yeah, yeah like i don't i don't give a shit uh, there's good shows that don't earn emmys all the time uh, mm-hmm. uh but uh i don't necessarily see it that way as they wrote in someone to have cancer just so they could you know the the guy could be cancer. I instead see it as like, oh, this is a story about Mitch having a bad relationship with his dad and totally. having like something forced. I could totally see in the future they would probably write an episode where it's like the character is cancer. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, I think there is absolutely a version of this episode that I think a lot of shows, especially in the time period, did. Where, like you said, like, you just introduce a random character whose one defining trait is cancer, and then the entire episode is everyone being sad that they're going to die of cancer. And, like, I'm sure Baywatch does that, that too. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they do in later seasons. But I think that's what's so impressive about this, is that that isn't what they do in this case. And it's what makes me so fucking frustrated when the writers don't apply themselves in... Uh, like, let's say the next episode that we're going to talk about. Um, Spoilers. But- <laughs> they, it's not that they don't apply themselves in the next episode. They willfully, like, terrorize yeah. us. God. But that's okay, because that's the showrunners writing that episode. This isn't. <laughs> oh. Well, that explains a lot. It does. Would I tell you boy, that, oh my, that that it's a uh, Birken Schwartz, but actually it's Deborah Schwartz, uh, but it's mm. a Birken Schwartz vehicle? You're like, oh. Okay. Yeah. And it's directed by, yeah. by Bonin? Yeah. Mm. God. This show really was successful in spite of them, huh? Yeah, that's what I feel like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after this conversation... 
we have a scene where Samir... Samir. Samir. Uh, Samir. <laughs> That's what we should call it from uh, now on. It's so much better. <laughs> Samir. <laughs> it makes her... It makes her feel like some, like, old, like, you know, uh, like, olden god has inhabited her, and she is the next version of Samir. Yes. Um, Samir is diving with Matt uh, to prove that she's not scared of the water anymore. But once she's in the water, she has another panic attack where she sees that green bubbling water. Um, So Matt jumps in in his jeans and carries her out of the pool. Um, And I did just keep thinking about how uncomfortable it would be to be wearing fucking soaked jeans. Um, But yeah, then uh, Summer's mom finds Summer contemplating the water on the pier and begs her to come home. And Summer is like, every time I have these flashbacks, the water's always green. And her mom is like, oh, no, it's my fault. And I I was Um, like, wait, are you the Green River Killer? What? (laughs) (laughs) She's also throughout this entire scene holding a green skirt. And I thought that was going to somehow play into it, but it doesn't. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. She she this this is maybe, in my opinion, the worst scene of the episode it's not good. Her mom's acting is kind of atrocious. It's uh, so over the top. She just goes, it's all my fault. And she goes, what, mom? Oh, I can't. It's my fault. Okay, mom, didn't tell me. Well, when you were five, oh, it's my fault. Just fucking tell us already. God. Yeah. Yeah, we find out that uh, Summer's stepdad was mad at her for throwing rocks into the hot tub that was made of some fancy wood. So he threw her into the hot tub and closed the lid. Um, as a five-year-old, and the lid was green, so the light filtering in was green. Um, but so Summer's mom rescued her, and then that was the night that they left. And that's why Summer's been seeing green boiling water, because it was... Uh, I think this is an okay, uh, you know, explanation. I know some, yeah. I saw some reviews are like, well, this is stupid. I'm like, yeah, trauma is stupid. That's the point, Dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> That's the fucking point. If trauma made sense, you wouldn't fucking be dealing with it forever. (laughs) God, get a fucking life, you loser. (laughs) I didn't mean to be so aggressive, but I'm just like, what a stupid opinion. Be like, oh, this is. Do you know how life works? Do you? (laughs) At the Tommy Wiseau, that one. (laughs) Jeez. I just. I thought that was very good. There's some dumb um, people who watch this show. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, I gotta stop. Unlike unlike us, a couple of intellectuals. Ah. Um, <laughs> I mean, eh, I'm gonna, yeah. Eh, eh, sort of. We're, we, we are some people. I'll, I'll give you True. that. True. But let's see. After this, uh, we learn that it's past midnight and Hobie is still up. Just like the Martin Scorsese movie. Um, so him and which, Mitch talk about... Martin Scorsese movie? After Hours. Was that a new one? No, no, it's like one of his first. What? Oh, oh is that the plot of it? That it's After Midnight? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually really interesting. Um, it's about this guy who... Like, it's a very surrealist movie, just like imagining what New York City After Midnight is like in like the 70s. And so it's this very just like trippy. I can tell you what that's like. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, I think, books written on that. 
Oh, it's it's from 85. So, yeah, it's like in the 80s. Um, but yeah, it's just this very weird, like only loosely even narrative kind of movie that I, I really enjoy. But it's definitely one of his like lesser known movies. Um, Interesting. I basically wrote a PowerPoint basically about New York after hours in the 80s. Oh, basically. interesting. So yeah, I, I have an idea, like earlier 80s, like 80, 81, maybe gotcha. like 79. But I sort of have an idea of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this movie is trying to be realistic about what New York City was like at that time period. It's more just like kind of an expression of the like idea and feeling of being up super late at night when nothing's really going on. But somehow there is always stuff going on and you like have all these like weird surreal experiences is that it's, like that that infamous movie that's like the uh the cure for insomnia do you know that movie uh the name sounds vaguely familiar it's like the, so there's like this infamous 12 hour or something movie where it's um this guy was like i need to make a cure for insomnia so it's like a bunch of metal music hardcore porn and then more metal music and then he published ah. it as a film Ah, it is 87 hours long. Oh, it's 87 hours long. Wow. Yes. I I must have gotten the edited version. (laughs) The the radio edit. (laughs) Um, Wow. Uh, It has not been released on DVD or other home video formats, and all known copies are considered as lost. Wow. It's still something I learned about in the small amount of time I was in film school. Uh, yeah. They talked about this. And I was like, whoa, they only talk about that and rope here. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. To get back to the movie itself. Uh, not the movie, the TV show, whatever this is. I don't know. It's a um, podcast for two men. <laughs> two men. Um, <laughs> um Hobie knows that his grandfather has cancer and is dying. Uh, And Mitch is like, what if I did take over the business and we did move to Phoenix? And Hobie's like, "Uh, I mean, what do you want to do, Dad? Mitch is like, well, not that, but I do think it might be the right thing to do. And then Hobie says, I only want to be like you. Um, and then you ruined sentence. all the like authenticity of that scene. <laughs> which is, Hobie says maybe they should move to Phoenix and he'll become mm-hmm. an architect too someday. And Mitch yeah. says, no, Hobie, you'll be whatever you want to be. And Hobie says, well, I just want to be like you, dad. And then they hug and they say they love each other. And you fucking ruined it. <laughs> In my defense, I He's, never pass up an opportunity to do a grunge voice. That is true. This is this scene is really good because it's showing us the opposite of what Mitch has with his dad, showing us that like Mitch is really trying hard to be a better father to his own son than his dad has been through the whole episode because he's not been manipulating his son. He's asking his son for opinions, even though his son is like eight or nine. Right. And saying you have freedom, you have a choice. In contrast to his dad saying you don't have a choice. OK, you have a choice, but I'm manipulating you. <laughs> Right. And it's it's like it, it's well timed and well placed because it is like a 40 minute episode. Right. And so you've just seen Mitch's dad over and over be shitty, inspiring then Mitch to be less shitty to his own son. That's true. No, I do actually think that it's a pretty good scene. 
Um, it's just that the way Hobie said that line almost perfectly matched the cadence of I only want to be with you. And that yeah, was all it, I could think about for the rest of true. the episode. <laughs> well, are you sure you're not thinking about Pepsi? That's true. There is a there is a lot of product placement from Pepsi, uh, especially because in the next scene we cut to the beach and a random woman is drinking a Pepsi. She sure is. Uh, she's uh, pregnant and pregnant. her manner. Pregarant. Um, Pregurninan. <laughs> Pregnante. Um, <laughs> Pregante. <laughs> That's a one a spicy baby. That's a one a spicy um, pregunte. <laughs> uh, but her and her man are going swimming. Um, and then we see that Mitch's parents show up to the lifeguard headquarters and Grandpa complains about the architecture of the headquarters. That, that actually um, kind of made me laugh, that he just comes there, he's like, this place is a shithole, and I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it felt it felt very in character. Yeah. For sure. Um, But the pregnant woman starts having problems, so Mitch goes to save her, and Grandpa sees and finally gets it. What's, uh, wait, she starts having problems. Is her problem that she's pregnant? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> her problem is that I think she starts drowning or yeah. something. I, I think um, it's that. It's just, it's very funny when you say the pregnant woman starts having problems. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you mean like birthing? God, that would be bad. Especially because she says that like, she's allowed to swim for the first six weeks or something. So it must be real early on. Um, but yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, but then Mitch and his dad have a conversation about how uh, his dad didn't realize that he was saving lives and that actually that's good, actually, and Mitch should not become an architect. Um, whoa, 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 it, whoa. Again, you're, again, ruining the experience <laughs> of it. Where Yeah, this one, this one I won't defend. I do think some of the other scenes were good. This one felt very stupid to me, where his dad was like, Ah, I didn't realize that you saved lives. Now I'm not mad at you. Like, what the fuck did you think a lifeguard did? He was never mad at him. He just didn't realize the idea that, like... Okay, so this whole episode has been focused on Al thinking about death and, like, what you leave behind right. when you die. And been thinking about, I want just want one person to remember me. Like, I want, like, a plaque on on a building. I want my, my body to be inside the building. So it's like a solid structure that just lives forever. And then he realizes that what Mitch does is he just saves people who then remember him. And he saves right. people who are like, Oh shit, I wouldn't have lived if not for him. So the whole point is like, yeah, he compre he knew what like lifeguards did, but he never comprehended that in this whole episode where he's talking about legacy or legacy. Sorry, that's that's the oh, episode oh, where it's oh, like Okra oh. instead of Oprah. And she's like, "Girl, you need to stop thinking about your legacy. Think about your legacy." Um, oh God. Anyways, um, this whole episode, he's thinking about his legacy and not realizing that Mitch can do something similar, if not better, without working with something physical, uh, or, or yeah. he, he's working with something physical. So, like, yeah, it's not necessarily the best written like choice of verbiage. But I think the idea is really good, given the content of the episode. Uh, That's fair. Um, and especially, especially because of the next scene. I think the next scene here is maybe the best scene of the entire episode. Uh, really? Yeah. Would you like to talk us through that scene? Then? Sure. So uh, uh, they they hug and mm -hmm. 
you can see Mitch is really happy. And now walks away and he's like, I got a project for Hobie. Uh, they're going to redesign the entire Baywatch HQ. If you're going to work in this place, if you're going to like live your legacy here, I'm going to make sure this place is, you know, is actually like good. And Mitch starts crying as he as he stares back at his dad. And like, in my mind, I was actually questioning this. And I, I, I was legitimately crying because I thought, is this sadness knowing that his dad like and him finally connected and finally had a relationship that he clearly had never had before at the moment he finds out or like right after the moment he finds out his dad is just going to die soon. And he never mm-hmm. appears again in the show. So it's like this ah. is the last episode with his dad. Or right. is it happiness knowing his dad finally accepts him? Uh, because like he had never accepted him. Uh, other Like maybe in like the two months he worked at an architecture firm. Sure. But like I know these types of people. There's no way that he accepted him. He would just been like, you got to do better. Totally. So, well, and we even we even hear from like Mitch and his dad that it was um, pretty contentious when Mitch was there. Right. So this is the moment where his dad finally accepted like what he does and said, oh, like you're as good as me, because what he's right. been basically saying this whole time is you're not as good as the thing that I do. You're not as good right. as me. Your legacy will not be as good as my legacy. So there's always this like qualifier. And at that moment, like and solidified it with a hug was wow, you are on my level, or, like, I see you as, like, a fully formed adult person. And so is it that, like, knowing that his dad finally accepts him, is that why he's crying? Or is it knowing that, you know, they connected a real relationship, like a real father-son relationship, and he's just going to die soon? And so it's, like, kind of, he can't experience the whole rest of this. Uh, and I thought it was really good because it ends on him crying and it's like that he's like smiling yet you can see he's really sad and I thought that's super good that's not what I expected this episode to end on I expected him to end on Al walks away makes a cigarette I'm gonna redesign this HQ and then Mitch Mitch starts laughing going ha ha and like his arms are akimbo you know and he's just like staring at the beach looking all hot and sexy and such but instead it's him being like extremely vulnerable crying while smiling in like this weird like hi i wonder what he's thinking right now moment and i know i'm over analyzing baywatch but uh at the same time i think if you were to actually just like look at what's there and forget that this is baywatch that's like what's happening yeah no, that's fair. I think, honestly, I missed that he was crying. Um, and I do think that actually does give me a much more positive read on the episode overall. Oh, yeah. It's probably easier to see and not, uh, you know, uh, less than 180. No, less than yes. 140p. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's he's very much doing that, like, I'm trying not to cry, but I'm crying. I'm crying. You know, kind of kind of cry. And then it just starts coming down once his dad walks away. And so at the end of the scene, you just see like these like wet bags under his eyes, as well as like tears streaming down his face. Yeah. So I think that I think that changes. I mean, I I think, you know, it again, I was really just expecting the arms akimbo. Ha 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 laugh. But I didn't get that. Yeah. But, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess. Speaking of, do we want to get into ratings then? Never, but yes. <laughs> Morgan, uh, on a scale of one to ten, where one is discovering that love is dead, 
and Ten is discovering that you have a gold prospecting 49er uncle who left you a gold boot in his will. Uh, where would you rate this episode? Uh, I think I am going to give this one an eight. Um, I think it was very well written, you know, call it any bait, fine, whatever. But I think that it was clear that the writers like, I don't know if it's that they sobered up or that they did more cocaine, like who knows? Um, but it actually felt very coherently written. I thought a lot of the relationships played very naturalistically, which I appreciated. Um, and yeah, overall, you know, I think this was, uh, this was a good one overall. And I'm going to say that an eight, uh, is the experience of, uh, successfully designing a C-Lab. Uh, it may have not, you know, been able to scale up to a full facility, but hey, you know what? At least you've got a tank full of C-Lab now. How about <laughs> that, you, Michael? That sounds sounds kind of dirty. At least you have a tank full of C-Lab. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to give it I'm going to stick by my my uh, my ethos of not giving point fives. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it I'm going to give it an eight as well. I would have given it a nine, but like some of the summer stuff was less interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, like I didn't think it was horrible, but I didn't think it was great. And I know uh, we're going to I'm going to read you some of the INDB ratings. They do not like this episode. Uh, they're mostly ones. Um, wow. Yeah. And uh, I oh. I just completely did. And also I, I watched uh, Allison Pregler's review of this, too. She hated this. And I was like, huh. man, uh, you people do not. I feel like you didn't watch the same thing I watched um, just because I got I really like this episode and it made me feel a lot of things. And that yeah. was good. And I will talk about it in therapy. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I thought Mitch and his dad was really well written. And I love it when we get to explore the softer side of Mitch. Those episodes are usually the best episodes. And, uh, or like the more nuanced sides of Mitch. And it just, it makes me want to see more stuff that isn't the episode after this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to describe an eight as uh, living your life with destrucity. Morgan, do you know what destrucity is? I, I have literally no idea, Michael. Destrucity is a concept created by pro wrestler The Ultimate Warrior once he moved into writing comic books. Um, of course. It, it's trifold in meaning, uh, so I'm going to quote it directly from Urban Dictionary. Um, oh, as, as all the best definitions are. Yeah, so part one of its meaning is that the na is the name of the galaxy in Warrior, wherein the terrain of Testament lies. Um, now, sure. Meaning two is the living of one's life in the way of the warrior, which according to a warrior, which are according to a warrior's eight principles, which are as follows: fi uh, one, physical; two, beliefs; three, moment of mastery; four, aptitude; five, commitment; six, ascension; seven, integrity; and eight, wisdom. Um, and the third definition is the creating of a truce between one's destiny and one's reality, promising to stay true to what one is destined to be, yet accepting what is the now one's reality. Uh, sure. 
uh, used in a sentence. Since John was a warrior, he adhered to the tenets of destrucity. Although his friends could understand integrity and wisdom when he tried to explain his commitment to a moment of mastering beliefs, they assumed correctly that he had gone insane and promptly got the fuck away from him. <laughs> um, also used as a sentence, the ultimate warrior lost his mind and made up a word called destrucity. Um, <laughs> and so now that I've introduced that into the podcast, I can now say, well, that's for destrucity or that's for destrue or that's for true from now on. <laughs> and you will understand sure. it. Um, but that Definitely. is and eight is living your life with destrucity. Um, I do want to read to you some of the INDB reviews. Uh, Bombers Fly Up uh, gave it a 2 out of 10, says, Like Mitch was going to become an architect, another father that doesn't know what a lifeguard does, superb writing, uh, Nicole Eggert is alluring, though. Um, yeah. The Sand Crabs agree. They both give it a 1. Uh, two, <laughs> 277 two, says... Two, two Sand Crabs agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Pelons and then Sand Crabs. Uh, uh, 277 says again with the architect theme why do all tv writers think architecture is some kind of romantic job it's nothing but a, <laughs> it's nothing but a dog eat dog profession that pays poorly anyways what this, a weird what a weird grievance with this episode i know anyways this episode is all about mitch's dad laying on a guilt trip for his own selfish reasons his mom was played perfectly by the beautiful Anne jeffries and summers is having issues with water deaths she doesn't understand um now, Sandcrab722, who is the more, um, how should we, should we say, uh, weird? Yes. Uh, I, I was going to say untethered. Uh, yeah, I think that's also a very good term. One titles their review, Eschew. Gesundheit. <laughs> uh, Mitch has daddy issues. Whack. Summer is allergic mm. to the color green. Double plus unrad. Oh Lord! Uh, he then they are th trying way too hard. Uh, he then says a thing uh, which uh, I don't enjoy them saying, but it's technically not a uh, like a slur, so I'll say it. But you can edit this out, which they call it a gimpy episode. Hmm. Yeah, it does feel like like I'm pretty sure it's not actually a slur, but it does feel like it should be. Yeah. Well, the next line should be a slur, which is skip, dodge, duck, and elude it. Uh, and then says their last sentence, which please translate this if you get this. Snow person fabrication be thine Lisa Stahl. What? I, I know Lisa Stahl is, is uh, on 60 Minutes, right? That's more than no, I know. No, it's not. Uh, no, that's Leslie Stahl. Lisa Stahl is apparently a game show host uh, who oh. was or something. I I don't know. I don't know what snow person fabrication be thine Lisa Stahl is, but it sounds like an incantation from Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> it does kind of. Yeah. Our next episode is called Island of Romance. Ooh. Ooh. We're post-Halloween. We're recording this in November. <laughs> uh, eh. Anyways, CJ and Stephanie go to Catalina for their woman weekend. But mm. the trip doesn't go according I to... Mm -hmm. don't like the phrase woman weekend. 
That's for distrucity. Uh, <laughs> but the trip doesn't go according to plan. Hobie and Mitch agree to hire a housekeeper. Uh, now, the Baywatch wiki, I mean, the IMDb description is CJ and Stephanie go on a weekend getaway to Catalina Island where they encounter various misadventures and characters. That's very general. Um, including a pair of handsome Coast Guard men and alleged jewel thief looking for buried treasure. That is the set of characters. I don't know why you said various misadventures of characters and then described exactly who all the characters are. Um, right? Who traps the women in an underwater cave. Not intentionally. Meanwhile, yeah. Mitch decides to hire a live-in housekeeper to cook and clean for him and Hobie. When an attractive foreign exchange student named Elkie arrives to take the job, Mitch worries that his attraction to her will impair her daily routine. No, that it won't impair her daily routine. It will impair his dick. Yes. <laughs> that's that's uh, his hope and his fear. What a having seen this next episode that we're about to record in episode four, what a fucking shitty way to describe the episode. Well, it's it's a shitty episode. Like there's, it's so bad. Here's a spoiler for people. Uh, we both hate it. Uh, yeah, I was messaging some friends while I was watching the episode, and was like, "Well, uh, I think season three, episode thirteen, might be the most racist Baywatch has been in a while." And both of them were like, "Ooh, we should watch this episode um, because that is the kind of people that I hang out with." I mean. Um, that's the, that's the kind of person I am as well. And I was exactly, I, you know, when I hear like Baywatch is really bad, I'm like, ooh, ooh, gotta watch that one. Most people don't seem to be that way because they're like, I want to watch good things. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, but I did message Reeves and say, I think I just cried at Baywatch. And he goes, oh, no, is this like a good <laughs> thing? And I was like, it's a good thing. And I was he was like, uh, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask why. And I told him and he said huh, I guess Baywatch does surprise you sometimes. And I said, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, mind you, the next episode is super racist. And he said, ah, there it goes. <laughs> yeah, I would say, honestly, both this episode and the next episode surprised me. Um, this one for being very good, and the next one for uh, me thinking foolishly that we had left all that behind in season two. Nah, it's it's... It's it's the saint above him who's still on the earth though, uh, not above uh, but below Gregory J. Bowen. <laughs> and whenever he's around, oh boy, oh boy. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think unless you've got anything else you want to say, Michael, we can wrap this bad boy up as we say at the end of every episode. Do we? Do we say that? Do we say wrap this bad boy up? Well. If you if you go back and listen uh, to every single episode, you will notice that I have cleverly uh, edited every episode so that the first letter of the last word of the episode spells that out. Um, Whoa! Wait, wait. The first <laughs> letter of the last word of each episode. Mm-hmm. But it's it's an ARG. Sometimes, Morgan, did you finish inscription yet? <laughs> no, I haven't yet. God damn it, Morgan. Finish inscription so we can talk about ARGs. Everybody should play inscription. Ugh, it's so good. Yes. Morgan, um, finish mm-hmm. inscription. 
But don't even bother recording tonight. Actually, do record tonight. We need to record another episode. But don't bother yeah. recording tonight. Play Inscription instead. But please, please record another episode with me. Yes. Um, but yes, uh, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I am at Morgan P. Thrapp. I'm at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips will Meow. mark your legacy. Oh, oh, that's... I don't want that. <laughs> None of us do, Michael, but it is the curse of being born. Ooh. <laughs>